I would propose that our fundamental model of leadership is at, at many places defective because we're looking for sort of a independently capable, self-starting, strong personality leader. Now, I would argue that's a recipe for disaster. The more mature you are, the more godly you are, the more holiness is your goal, the more dependent you are, because that's what you're created for. Welcome to the Crossway Podcast, a show where we sit down with authors each week for thoughtful interviews about the Bible, theology, church history, and the Christian life. I'm Matt Tully, and today I'm talking with Paul Tripp. Paul is an author, a former pastor, and the president of Paul Tripp Ministries. He's also the best-selling author of many books, including Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church from Crossway. Today, Paul and I discuss what he calls the leadership crisis in the church today. He explains what he's been seeing and hearing from pastors that indicates that there is indeed a crisis. Why healthy leadership in the church is about the leadership community, not just the head pastor, and what it looks like to address this crisis with the power of the gospel. Let's get started. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today on the Crossway Podcast. It's so good to be with you. So you're often referred to as a pastor to pastors, and um, in that role, you've walked alongside many, many different pastors and ministry leaders in the midst of some very difficult situations, some of them uh, quite high profile. I just wonder if if you had to guess how many phone calls or in-person meetings would you say that you've had over the last few years related to some kind of serious leadership failure? I don't know if I could give you a number. It's it's countless uh, numbers. When I wrote the book, Dangerous Calling, I knew my life would change. Mm. Uh, I knew that if the book uh, got out there and was well-received, I'd be the guy that get, would get the call. And I knew that would mean I would probably spend a lot of my time just being sad for the condition of leadership and the struggles of pastors in the church. Dangerous Calling focuses on the pastor himself and the unique temptations that a pastor will face. But as pastor after pastor told me his story or an elder would call and say, this is what's happened to our pastor, I began to be growingly concerned about the leadership community that surrounded the pastor. Mm. And after many of those calls, I thought there needs to be another book that addresses the leadership community. It is almost always the case that behind a fallen leader is a dysfunctional leadership community. Something has taken place that allowed them to be blind uh, to what was going on. There's something there that allowed that protective community not to be protective for him anymore. And so when it breaks, they're shocked. They're unprepared. And it, it begs the question, how could it be that you would live in this intimate ministry, almost daily contact with a person and not know them and not know significant things that were going on inside of them? Yeah. Do you think it's more common today than it was in the past? Or is it just that we, because of social media and the internet, we hear about it more often? 
I, I don't. I don't know. I, I my thought is that whatever is new and whatever is old doesn't make as much difference to me than my calling to deal with the spiritual condition of the church right here, right now. I love the Church of Jesus Christ. I wouldn't know how to live without it. I love Sunday morning. I love having the gospel and preach. I love pastors. I've been a pastor. I know the struggles. I care deeply about these things. And so I think my calling is not so much to do a historical analysis, but to say these things are afloat right now and the gospel speaks to them. Mm, yeah. Well, and one of the things you've already hit on, but it's it's really key to what you're trying to do in this new book, is to focus not just on the individual pastor or the individual leader, uh, who those are often the things that make the news, obviously, but you really want to broaden the conversation to focus also on the team surrounding that person, the team within the church. And I wonder um, if you can unpack that a little bit. Why do you feel like that's something that we have been so prone to maybe ignore or downplay? Well, let me, let me start by giving you what I think is the summary thesis of the book. It's this. The key to ministry fruitfulness is longevity. Fruit doesn't happen overnight. The key to uh, longevity is spiritual health. If you're not spiritually healthy, the push and pull and struggle and suffering and criticism and hardship of ministry will burn you out and you'll leave. So the key to fruitfulness is longevity. The key to longevity is spiritual health. Now here's, here's the, the kicker of the book. The key to spiritual health is gospel community. Hmm. There's no evidence in the New Testament for this individualized, self-sufficient, Jesus and me Christianity that has become way too much the norm in evangelicalism. You could not read the New Testament without concluding that our faith is deeply relational. First, a dependent relationship with God, and secondly, an inter interdependent relationship with one another. Secondly, there's no indication anywhere in the New Testament that it's safe for a pastor to live up above or outside of that uh, gospel community. So I would propose that our fundamental model of leadership is at, at many places defective because we're looking for sort of a independently capable, self-starting, strong personality leader. I would argue that's a recipe for disaster. I mean, think about this. The, the inertia of grace is not from dependence to independence. The inertia of grace is from independence to dependence. So, that, so the, the, the more mature you are, the more godly you are, the more holiness is your goal, the more dependent you are because that's what you're created for. And, and so what we've actually ended up producing then are arrogant, self-focused bullies. Uh, I mean, how many more experiences are we going to have to hear of people who feel bullied by Christian leaders? I mean, that, is, that itself is a scandal. Hmm. And, and so uh, we've got to look back and say, what is the missing ingredient in this definition? And I would argue it's humble, Christ-centered, grace-driven, redemptive community. 
And I want to know if we're seeking to call a pastor to a church that it's a man who is humbly committed to be part of that kind of community. I want to say one other thing, that we've tended to look for for leaders who are good planners, strategizers, and can win people for those those vision vision casters. Now, I, I would not say that those things are unimportant, but if you look at the qualifications for elder, this is this is radical. Other than the ability to teach, they're all character qualities. Now, it appears that God is saying leadership capability, leadership fruitfulness is all character driven. And, and so we've waited, we've tended to weight things toward giftedness and and not toward character. Yeah. Yeah. In your book, you rhetorically asked the question. Uh, whether or not the church has become enamored with corporate models of leadership. Is that kind of what you're getting at here? Sure. And, and I, again, I, don't, I believe in common grace. I don't think there, that there's nothing to be learned from those models. It's, it's where we weight our, our emphasis. And the emphasis clearly by God's description for leaders for his church is weighted toward character. Mm. Well, and going back even a little bit to the the idea that uh, no Christian is designed to to do the Christian life alone, we, we've heard that many times before. For some people listening, it might almost be a cliche at this point, and yet it does seem that when it comes to pastors and church leaders, uh, even though probably no one would actually say it out loud, uh, there is a little bit of a sense of, I have to kind of be a lone ranger here. I have to, to sort of keep track of myself, and I can't let anyone else in, because if I do... Um, and they know how much I'm struggling with this or that, that's going to invalidate my ministry. Have you encountered that mindset among leaders you've worked with? I just think it's bad theology to think that human weakness and remaining sin invalidates the gospel. Those things preach the gospel. Think about this. If you're sitting on a Sunday morning and your pastor is preaching a particular point and he stops and he says, I wish I could say I do this perfectly, but I don't. Would you pay, pray for your pastor? That endears your heart to him. You don't sit there and think, huh, forget it. This man isn't perfect. I'm not listening to him anymore. I just think that thought is not actually true. In fact, look at the self-disclosure in Scripture. I mean, think of 2 Corinthians 1, where, where Paul, this great man of faith, said, we thought it was the end. Right. In our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. Now, he's talking about fear, panic. I think it's wonderful that Paul bears an honest struggle in this moment. He's not afraid to do that. And he, the turn is, all this caused us to rely more on God and on your prayers. So look, if weakness is our condition between the already of our careers and not yet of our home going, because we live in a broken world fraught with struggles and temptations, and there's still remaining sin in us, then for a pastor to own weakness is very, very important. Hmm. In your experience talking with pastors and leaders, uh, has it been, what's been more common? Is it that you've seen, uh, maybe even particularly the pastors where there has been some significant failing, has it been an intentional uh isolating themselves from other people, from transparency and accountability, or is it just been they haven't been intentional at all about 
cultivating that that level of transparency? Both. I think uh, often it's the the business of the the church as an institution that eats up so much time that true community doesn't take place. So I think that's one thing, and I I think you've got to have the same intentionality as you do for planning out the work of the church. You have to have the same intentionality for making sure that your leaders are spiritually healthy. Listen, that takes time. If it takes time, it's got to be on the schedule. If it's not on the schedule, it's not going to happen. So there's got to be that intentionality. But I think there's another thing that happens. It's it's one of the things that I write in the book about the danger of achievement is that I think there are a few men who as young men go into the pastorate saying, I'm going to be closed off and unreachable. I think I can do this on my own. I think there are few men that say that. But what happens is, so they begin with a community that has some kind of candor to it, but they begin to be successful. And the more they achieve, the more people get excited about the power of this man to achieve. And the people that were once his protectors begin to become his defenders. So they'll say, yeah, I know, he's, he gets angry at times, but look what God has done through him. And his defenders end up becoming advocates for a culture that is not what it should be. And what happens then is this man is left without counsel, he's left without protection, and the community around him has sold their souls to the idol of success. I mean, I, I've, I've heard with my own ears leaders say, but look what God has done. Look at the people that have come to Christ. Listen, success in ministry is never God's validation of my character. It's God's revelation of his own. Wow. So I can, nev- I can never say, I must be okay because look what God is doing to me. I mean, come on. God speaks through rocks. If he can use inanimate objects, I can't be proud that he can use me. <laughs> right. <laughs> that, that seems so obvious hearing you say it right now. Uh, you know, everyone listening is like, of course. But, but it, is, it is so tricky the way that we often think about ministry and people in spiritual leadership over us and others. Um, you talk about how we, we must not esteem doing over being. Uh, and yet so much of our talk about pastoral ministry and leadership focuses on the doing part. So much of what we celebrate uh, focuses on the doing part. So how do we recalibrate our focus? Again, I think it's, it's believing that the description of our need, particularly in the New Testament, between our conversion and our home going, and the description of how the body of Christ is meant to meet that need we, we take that seriously. We believe that. And we import that model into our leadership community. L- let, me, let me just go specifically to some of the things that that will mean. So we commit ourselves to humility. What humility means is I'm approachable. I know that I can't do this by myself. I know that I need others. So I'm, I'm, I'm not defensive. It means then obviously I've described this. It means I go in knowing I'm entering into an interdependent community. I don't look at these guys sitting around the table as just the managers of the church. I look them as at them 
as being placed in my life for my protection. And everybody looks at everybody in the leadership unity that way. We know that we're gonna have a culture of inspection. We're gonna be willing to step over the normal, comfortable boundaries of relationship and ask one another hard questions that we need to ask. I know that if I've gotten angry in a meeting, one of my dear brothers is gonna follow me to my office and say, Paul, you can't talk to people that way. You know that that's wrong. I'm gonna call the guys together quickly and I'm gonna ask you to go in, confess your sin, and ask for forgiveness from your brothers. Imagine being part of that community. Now, I walk down the hallway. I don't feel condemned. I feel loved by that man. Yeah. And I know I'm going to be loved by the men in the room. You do that five times, and you've changed your culture because you, you begin to live in the fruitfulness, the security of forgiving, giving grace. Uh, we have a culture of protection. We're protecting one another. I'm looking out for you. When I ask you questions about your marriage, I'm doing that because I love you. I, I know that one of the ingredients of a spiritually healthy pastor is a spiritually healthy marriage if he's married. That's important. So I'm not, I'm not feeling put upon because the guys around me want to protect me. Love is protective. And, and then we're, we know we're a community that's committed to restoration. The gospel is restorative. I write in the book, and it's one of my favorite moments in Scripture. This, this moment encourages me. I, I can't tell you how much this encourages me. When after Jonah running, after he'd been swallowed up and vomited onto the shore. Now, we know that that moment is when he spit up on the shore is not judgment, it's grace. If you have a narrow definition of grace, hear what I'm about to say. Sometimes grace looks like vomit. <laughs> but what it says at the beginning of chapter 3 is, oh, these words are so good. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Isn't that beautiful? Fresh starts and new beginnings. God's grace is restorative. You would have thought, I mean, I'll tell you what my attitude had been. I would have thought, Jonah, you blew it. It's not like I'm short on prophets. You're done. Right. That's sort of a human reaction. Praise God, he's not like that. And so we want to have that fresh starts and new beginnings. We don't want to be a church that just a guy blows it, he's done. He's off the elder board or as a pastor, he's, he's fired. Now, there are some times when it's so grievous and the man is resistant recalcitrant that that kind of separation has to happen. But we want to have a restorative grace live in our community, wouldn't it be great that we've been through the experience of two or three of those restorations and we're not afraid when sin comes to the surface because we know how powerful God's grace is. So, I mean, those are just a few ingredients of the kind of community that needs to be, that should be the norm wherever ministry is being done. Yeah. How would you respond to the pastor who who might respond to that and, and say, yeah, I agree, all that's important, and, and I want that, I see my need for that, uh, but I have that maybe in a pastor friend from another church, or a mentor who who isn't part of the, the leadership community in the church that he's ministering in. Is that okay in your mind, or do you think there's something unique about um, the actual leadership team at a church? 
Well, I, I love that the body of Christ is worldwide, and I love that there are resources beyond my local church. Of course I do. Uh, I'm a Presbyterian, so, I mean, that's, that's, that's <laughs> baked into the way that I think about the, You're on board. think about the church. But I was part of an advisory board of a man and then a church that had a massive blow-up. And I ended up, before that blow-up, resigning from that advisory board because it hit me that I was way too distant hmm. to actually have an intimate understanding of what was going on. If I had sat in those leadership meetings, I would have immediately picked up things that I would have felt the necess- necessity to follow up on. It was too far away. Here's the problem. When I'm just your friend and I'm not part of your intimate leadership community, I only get my news on what's happening there from you. Right. And I'm not saying that men want to deceive, but it's my story. It's very hard. I mean, look, if if I'm telling the story, I'm telling it from my perspective. So it's very hard for that to get at some of the things that need to be gotten because the distance just doesn't allow it. Yeah. By definition, we can't we can't testify to our blind spots and have someone speak into that. That's right. Exactly right. So, so one of the things you've already mentioned a couple times is just the foundational importance of humility in all of this. And there was just one line in the book that really stood out to me that was uh, in some ways uh, uh, just startling. You write, humility is about fearing the power of position rather than craving it. Why do you use that word fearing? It's, it's the, the biblical sense of fear, that, uh, that heart-capturing, mind-capturing, all-producing fear. When I sit and think that I've been called to be the ambassador of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, that I'm the look on his face, I'm the tone of his voice, I'm the touch of his hand, and I have been commissioned to carry his life and death gospel message, it scares me to death. I am neither worthy nor capable of doing that. If there is list of capabilities, I fall short of it. I only am able to do that by the intervention of divine grace. Listen, if I am going to be a tool of rescue in the hands of my Redeemer as his ambassador, the person who needs to be rescued first is Paul Tripp. I need to be rescued from me. I can be terribly impatient. I can be a theological know-it-all. I can be way too critical. I can want comfort more than I want want to be part of God's transform, transforming grace. I can be attracted to the physical things of this world. And at moments, they become more important to me than the spiritual blessings that have been lavished on me by grace, I need rescue. And I need that rescue every day. And there are times when, I don't know if I can get through talking about this. When I wake in the morning and I think of what I'm going to be doing that day and putting incredibly significant things down on the page, I'm sitting in the place where I have the devotions in tears, wishing I could be relieved of the burden. Not because I don't love what I'm doing. Not because I don't feel deeply privileged. But I'm quaking at the responsibility of that. 
I think that's the heart of a gospel leader. Uh, and this where's the world, I'm ready, let me take it on kind of view of leadership is, is deeply defective. Uh, who would stand and say, I'm a perfect ambassador of the Redeemer? I, I, I always think of, when I think of this, I think of Isaiah's calling, captured for us in Isaiah 6, where he stands before the Lord. He gets a vision of God, and the cherubim are flying back and forth, chanting, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. What's Isaiah's response? Not, I'm ready, Lord. No, his response is, I'm done. Mm, yeah. Because I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell amongst a people of unclean lips. My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. He's overwhelmed with his inability. And that's right. That's what the gospel does. It strips me of myself. And so I'm very aware that I could never speak or write anything that I don't desperately need myself. And, and so everything I've written in the leadership book, the first audience is Paul Tripp. I'm not writing as this expert who's arrived. I'm writing in the thick of it myself. Yeah. yeah and you've said before, I think in a few different places, that God has... It used your pretty significant health struggles over the last few years to humble you and show you uh, areas where you were trusting in your own power and your own ministry success rather than Him. I wonder, what, what has that process been like and, and how does it continue today? So uh, I, I think what, what I would have called faith in Christ was just, I was healthy, very fit for my age. Uh, I didn't require much sleep and had the ability to produce and produce quickly. There's a whole lot of pride in that. And God, at the moment of my greatest influence, rendered me weaker than I'd ever been in my life. And there was, it was very, very hard. It was, it was travail. And it was very interesting. The people that are closest to me who came alongside of me didn't say, this too will pass. They gave me the gospel. And I began to realize that there's two pieces to what God was doing. First, he was rendering me weak, but he was reminding me where real strength is found. It's not found in my health. It's found in my Redeemer. Weakness is a playground for grace. And that's, that's changed me. Uh, I'm, I'm just, I'm different. And my enthusiasm for my passion for the gospel, I thought I had it before. There's just so much more there. And the tenderness of my heart, I'm a much more tender man uh, than I was. And I'm less afraid of weakness. My honest confession is, this this will sound unrealistic, I'm sure to people, is that if this what it, is this what it takes, I'll, I'll never be healthy truly the rest of my life. If, if this is what it takes for God to do what he's done in me and now through me, bring it on. I, 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 I want to be where God has led me. But what he had to do, uh, I, I call this in the book the devastation of self-glory. I had to go through that. I, I talk about Nebuchadnezzar and that the humiliation of devastation is not being judgment. 
as being grace. God was capturing that man. God was restoring him. Nebuchadnezzar, at the end of that, writes a short hymn that's one of those beautiful statements of the sovereignty of God in all of Scripture. This self-oriented, self-glorying king, this king that called himself a deity. So that, I think, that God is finds ways of putting leaders through that humiliation in some way. Maybe it's a failure of, of a program that you just thought was going to be it. Maybe it's a sin that's revealed. Uh, maybe it's financial struggle, but, but somehow it wants to strip us of our pride in self because that's when we're usable in his hands. Mm. Well, and it seems like sometimes the response uh, to some kind of trial like that, some kind of uh, breaking us down, lovingly, graciously breaking us down, the response can either be uh, humility and, a, and a, a recognizing of our own weakness, or it could be the other side, bitterness or you know, a digging in of our heels. So I wonder, as you think back even about your own experience, was there a moment when you had to, to kind of consciously decide, I am going to humble myself in this. That's the path I want to take here, rather than get angry and get frustrated. There was a moment in the hospital where I literally prayed and said, God, I'm not going to run away from you. I'm going to run to you. I'm not going to bring you in the court of my judgment and judge you as unloving and unfaithful. I'm going to run to you. And I think it was a very, very important, important moment. And what I want to say about the, the lead book is all the things that we've been talking about, we need to have a community around us that encourages that. So I'm protected from being bitter because I'm surrounded by guys that say, God's not judging you. God hasn't forsaken you. This is God's grace. God's crafting you so that the best of ministry is in front of you. Don't you see it? Uh, I had guys sending me gray old Irish hymns on, on YouTube and passages of scripture and uh, Luella, my dear wife, day after day after day, preaching the gospel, saying to me, don't say that. You can't say that. And I'm thankful for that. I wasn't offended by that. I, I needed that because it's so easy in those moments to lose your way. And, and I want to say, there are bitter pastors out there. They're still cranking it out. But the, the sweetness of their relationship with God is gone. The sweetness of relationship to the body of Christ is gone. But they're, they're still trying to, to do their thing as as a pastor i mean i i can tell the conversations when i've tried to get inside of a pastor so i can help him and they they get mad at me and i know that's not about me i know it's a shell of self-protection that's built up over over the years i mean you 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 have no theology of nefarious hardship in the new testament the theology of hardship is all about God taking those things and producing good results out of it. Now, we know that's true because that's the cross. The cross teaches us God can take the worst things ever and out of them bring the best things ever. What could be worse 
than the murder of the Messiah. What could be better than the cross of Jesus Christ? Yeah, wow. Speak to the pastor or ministry leader uh, listening right now who is, he knows he is really struggling. Maybe he's dealing with some kind of unconfessed sin. Maybe uh, he's feeling cold to the things of God and he's felt that way for a very long time. Maybe he's feeling totally burnt out. What would you say to that person? Well, I mean, two words, get help, get help. You know, our every pastor's walk with God is a community project. So you get help. Now, if you're, if you're surrounded by a leadership community that's more a business management team and it's pretty impersonal, it may not be best just to go and throw your heart on the table. So find a man in that community who you think is the closest person that you can begin to say, I'm not doing well. I need help. Would you walk with me? Would you pray for me? Would you hold me accountable to, to continue to seek God for this? And then what I, what I would say is, as you've seen that bear fruit, then share that experience with this larger, your larger leadership community and begin to say, we need to reform the way we are relating to one another as leaders so that, so that this kind of protection, rescue, helpfulness, dependency, candor, humility becomes normal for us. And, you know, there are places where it would really be great for a leadership community to hear a pastor say, I was afraid to talk to you guys about this. I was afraid what what the reaction would be. And I want to have relationships in our community where we need not be afraid anymore. Yeah. Yeah. to confess those sin, weaknesses, failures, struggles. Hmm. So speak to the pastor then, and you maybe you've hit on this a little bit, but the, the pastor or leader who uh, would say that he's doing pretty good right now, he's excited about the ministry that God has placed him in, he feels like he's walking closely with the Lord, uh, but if he's honest, he would have to acknowledge that the leadership community around him is not marked by uh, many of the characteristics that we've discussed today. So just practically speaking, how can he start to move them in that direction? Well, I, w- I want to speak to his own uh, estimation of himself. You know, one of the things that the Bible teaches is that sin blinds. And so as long as sin is inside me, there will be pockets of spiritual blindness. So that means I have to accept that there will be ways in which my assessment of myself is inaccurate because sin blinds. You just can't say, no one knows me better than I know myself because there are going to be inaccuracies in my view of myself because of the blindness of sin. Sin blinds. Guess who it blinds first? Me. I have no trouble seeing the sin of my wife and children, people around me. That's not my problem. But I can be blind to my own sin. So it may be that although that pastor thinks he's doing well, There are areas still in his life that he doesn't see that could warrant some examination, some confession, and some change. That's the first thing I would say. The second thing I would say is I think the the way to initiate uh, the beginning of change in a leadership community is candor and transparency. Talk out of your own experience. Uh, Talk of your own need for rich gospel community 
talk about moments of struggle where you need people around you to encourage you, to give you courage, and then begin to talk about how the experience that you shared is, is not just unique to the person who shared them. It's everybody who needs these things. The New Testament says that. Uh, we, we grow in maturity as each part does its part. I, I'm, not, I'm not made to do this by myself. And, and then there's a lot of practical helpfulness in the lead book. Begin to uh, lead these uh, your leadership community in, in examining what uh, the steps of change will look like. I mean, I, I this will sound self-promoting. I don't mean it that way. I think a great way to, to start would just go through lead with your leadership community. You know, every time you get together as a, as a group of leaders, you will have read an, another chapter and you discuss it together and you if if it's warranted, you confess areas that God has opened up in your own heart and life and you pray for one another and uh, you begin to use uh, this tool to revitalize and reshape the way you work as a leadership community. Yeah, yeah. Well, Paul, thank you so much for taking the time today to, to talk with us about this really important, really timely uh, issue. And really, as you said all along, fundamentally just point us back to the gospel. The gospel is central in all of this. You know, and and can I just say this final thing, is this is what concerns me about our enthusiasm with the corporate model. The corporate model shouldn't be a model to us. We should take corporate insights, but we should take corporate model as a model. We have our model. It's the gospel. And the way that the pastoral epistles depict what it looks like to live as a community, to live out of the gospel as a community. That's our model. We don't need a model. Yeah. Sure, there will be some leadership insights that we can take from the corporate community. We don't need a model. We have a model. Well, thank you, Paul, so much for taking the time to talk today. Oh, thanks for the opportunity. Uh, I can't tell you how honored I am to be doing what I'm doing. It's uh, the great privilege of my life. That was Paul Tripp on the church's leadership crisis and what to do about it. For more, be sure to check out his book with Crossway, Lead, 12 Gospel Principles for Leadership in the Church, available online or at your local Christian bookstore. For more interviews like this, subscribe to the Crossway podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast player. If you enjoyed this episode, leave us a review, which helps us spread the word about the show. Crossway is a not-for-profit Christian ministry that exists solely for the purpose of proclaiming the truth of God's Word through publishing gospel-centered content. Visit us today at crossway.org.